Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, church family. It is so good to see you today and worship with you. I also am glad that you're well, well enough to be here. Easter is my favorite day of the year, but I would say Christmas season is my favorite time of the year. I love the lights, the gatherings, the songs, the decorations, the traditions. I used to love the food, but we'll, we'll forget about that. One of the traditions that makes me so happy during this season of the year is this whole deal of giving and receiving gifts. As a kid, that's all I cared about, right? Christmas means presents when you're a kid. You anticipate the presents being put under the tree. You grow in excitement as more and more presents are added as the days and weeks of Christmas go by. In fact, in my family growing up, Christmas gifts far outmatched birthday gifts. Christmas gifts were bigger and better than any time of the year. Even now, my go-to question after Christmas when I talk to people is I love to ask people, what did you get for Christmas? Because I've never met someone who didn't appreciate a thoughtful gift. Everyone loves to get thoughtful, valuable gifts. Have you ever wondered how the tradition started of giving and receiving gifts at Christmas? Why do we do this whole thing of giving and receiving gifts? Did some greedy kid just think of this whole thing just to get a pile of presents at the end of the year? Now, of course, Christmas has become over-materialized and over-commercialized massively, but giving and receiving gifts at Christmas is a very good thing. The reason we give gifts to celebrate Christmas, at least the motivation we should have, is to reflect the generous gift that God gave us when He sent His Son to take on flesh and dwell among us. Just as the wise men brought gifts to celebrate the birth of the King, so we celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior, by giving and receiving gifts. So as you're giving and receiving gifts this Christmas, don't forget that Christmas really is about a gift. Jesus is the gift of all gifts. You see, Jesus is more than just the foundation for celebrating Christmas. He's more than just the foundation for all of these things that we do at Christmas time. He is the center and focus of the entire universe. He really did come and take on flesh and dwell among us. And He really did die in the place of sinners so that we could have all of these blessings that we sing about, that we enjoy, that we look forward to. Jesus really did take on flesh, lay down His life so that we could have this restored relationship with God forever. And Christmas is simply the recognition, the celebration of that greatest of all gifts. So as you give and receive gifts over these next few weeks, I pray that you would allow each and every gift to remind you of the gift that changes everything. Jesus is the gift of all gifts to which every other gift points. Every gift under every tree in the entire world 
is to be seen as a dim reflection of the gift of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament predicted and promised the giving of this ultimate gift into the world. So many places in the Old Testament we could go to see the promise of this gift. But one of the clearest prophecies regarding the coming of Jesus into the world is found in Isaiah chapter 9. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 9 with me. In Isaiah 9, God promised Jesus as the ultimate gift about 700 years before Jesus was born. Let's just think of this. 700 years before He came into the world, God promised this gift. Isaiah presents Jesus here as the gift of all gifts, the perfect gift at the perfect time. And what makes Jesus the gift of all gifts is that God gave us God in order to bring us back to God. God gave us God to bring us back to God. That's what I want to show you in the text this morning. And that's where I want my Christmas celebration to focus this year. And that's where I pray your Christmas celebration would focus. God gave us God to bring us back to God. In fact, say that with me because I want you to to get it. God gave us God to bring us back to God. Let's read Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. It's on page 573 of the Pew Bible, the black hardback Bible in front of you if you want to grab that, page 573. This is the authoritative and infallible Word of our God. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The context of Isaiah chapter 9 is the context of very hard truths. If you read the surrounding context of this prophecy, Isaiah is predicting some terrible things. Isaiah is condemning sin and he is predicting some difficult realities for God's people that are coming. 
The people of God are oppressed by nations much larger and stronger than they are, and they are on the brink of being utterly devastated. The people of God have moved away from God's ways and God's will, but in the midst of this gloom, I get that word from verse 1, in the midst of this gloom, in the wake of this deep darkness, the promise of light, the promise of a gift of all gifts shines with brilliance and hope in the midst of this. It's, it's, it's like everything around this passage is just black darkness, just filled with sin and destruction and condemnation. And here in Isaiah 9, there's this diamond, there's this light that is like a beacon shining so brightly that God promises this gift, this amazing gift. And so I want us to consider three truths from this bright prophecy. I'm going to give you all three of them, and then we'll just walk through them one at a time. We're going to see in the text, God is the giver, God is the gift, and God is the goal. God is the giver, the gift, and the goal. Now, Please forgive me for this alliteration. I don't normally do this. In fact, I usually try to avoid alliteration like this so as not to be trying to be cute or clever. So if you're here for the next 10 years at Miller Heights Baptist Church, you might never hear me use an alliteration like this ever again. So enjoy it this morning. God is the giver. God is the gift. And God is the goal. First, God is the giver. This is the most fundamental truth that I want you to be convinced of this, from this passage this Christmas. Our God is the ultimate and the supreme giver. When you think of God, do you think giver? Now, we all know people who just seem to be good at giving gifts, don't we? You know the kind of people I'm talking about, people who give unexpected and thoughtful gifts. They, they find so much joy in giving to others. They expect nothing in return. Well, friends, even the most generous and joyful givers do not compare to our God. Their giving spirit is merely a reflection of the God who is by his very nature a giver. Notice the heart and soul of this prophecy in verse 6. Verse 6 is the key verse that makes this prophecy good news. Notice what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And just in case it's not clear who's doing the giving of this son, notice the end of verse 7. It tells us the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The giver is the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts is a special title for God that declares Him to be the Lord of all. He's in control of everything, both physical and spiritual. He is the Lord of angel armies. And this Lord of hosts is the giver. He's the very center of this passage, this gift that He is giving, this generous gift, this generous promise that He gives to people in darkness. And here, at His the very center of his plan, the very center of this giver's plan is this gift, this gift of a child, this gift of a son. I'm going to talk more about that gift in just a moment, but just for a moment, consider how God gives this most precious gift. God 
is not stingy. Our God is not miserly. He has absolutely no bah humbug in him. He is not like Ebenezer Scrooge. He is lavishly generous with his bounty. He is, by his very nature, a giver. And notice two particular ways God gives that are highlighted in this text. First, God gives zealously. God gives zealously. Again, verse 7 refers to the zeal of the Lord in giving this promise, this gift. Zeal is another word for passion. It's another word for thirst. God is not a reluctant giver, is what the prophet is saying. He is an enthusiastic giver. When he gives, he gives with zeal. He gives without hesitation. He gives passionately. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some gifts that I feel like I'm just sort of reluctant to give around Christmas time, right? You hear someone is going to be at the Christmas family gathering, and you don't want to leave anyone out, and so you just sort of reluctantly get them a token gift just to say that you got them something. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way? Well, God is not like that. God is not like that. God does not wish he could skip out on the gift giving, He is by his very nature a zealous giver, a passionate giver. No one has to twist God's arm to give. He is eager in his giving, zealous. But also notice, secondly, he's a gracious giver. He's a zealous giver, and he's a gracious giver. So we see this in the text, in the recipients of this gift. He gives undeserved gifts. Verse 2 describes the recipients of this gift as people who walked in darkness. Also, they're described as dwelling in a land of deep darkness. Verse 4 describes the recipients as in bondage and slavery. Verse 5 describes the recipients as engaged in war and bloodshed. And if you read the surrounding context in Isaiah, you see that it's full of God's judgment, God's curses on his people who are despising him. God warns his people that they will be destroyed if they continue in their sin. In other words, the people God is promising this ultimate gift to do not deserve anything good from God. God gives his most precious gift to those who have cursed him, to those who have rebelled against him and his ways. He gives light to those who are in darkness. He gives light to those full of gloom and sadness. Now the, dark, the phrase darkness here is a, is a picture of human sin and depravity. To walk in darkness is a picture of living in rebellion against God as our King. And God gives zealously not to people who love and worship Him, not to people who are walking in the light, but to people who have despised Him. In other words, He gives graciously. Now, it's around this time of year that we often hear about a different kind of giver. Around this time of year, we hear about a jolly old man in a red suit who gives gifts to those who are nice. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. You see, friends, in that story, the naughty kids aren't supposed to get any gifts. If you find yourself on the naughty list, the best gift you can hope to receive is coal or switches in your stocking. But that is totally upside down from the real Christmas story. 
This is totally upside down. The real Christmas story is about how the naughty kids get zealous and gracious gifts from the giver. The good news of Christmas is that the ones who dwell in deep darkness are the ones who get the light, are the ones who have promised this gift. Friends, let me just say, if there were such a thing as a naughty list, all of our names would be on it. My name would be at the top of the naughty list. In the movie Elf, Buddy says there is room on the nice list for everyone. That is true. And the reason there's plenty of room on the nice list for everyone is because all of us, without exception, are on the naughty list. Friends, if the gift of God, if the gift of experiencing all that God has for us, His life and His light and His peace and His grace were dependent on being nice or good or morally upstanding, none of us would have it. But our God's a gracious giver. Our God gives His most precious gifts to those who least deserve it. He gives us what we do not deserve. Oh, friends, this is the greatest Christmas blessing imaginable. Our God is a zealous and a gracious giver. He does not give reluctantly, and He does not give based on how good or how bad we have been. He freely and mercifully gives what we don't even know we need. But God is not only the giver, He's also the gift. And so notice secondly, God is the gift. This is backwards, isn't it? The giver is the gift. The giver is the, the giver gives himself. Notice that the gift that God gives graciously, he gives passionately, is the gift of his very own son. Verse 6. Again, the heart of this prophecy. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And then the rest of verse 6 and verse 7 make absolutely clear that this is no ordinary child. This is no ordinary son. This child, this gift, is the very Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. The Messiah, Jesus the Christ. This is the very same child that two chapters earlier, Isaiah 7.14, was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin and would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child, this son that is promised is God. And so the gift that God zealously and passionately gives is the gift of His very own Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. When Jesus took on flesh and became a man, it was as if the Father was wrapping a Christmas gift for His people. He zealously and graciously sent His Son to bring us back to Himself. God the Father gave us God the Son. And notice these descriptions of this child in verses 6 and 7. He is described in such a way as to make clear that no one could fit this description but God Himself. I see at least six descriptions of the Son here in verses 6 and 7. Just notice how awesome this gift we have been given is. Six descriptions. Number one, He is a strong leader. Verse 6. I think this is the thrust of the phrase, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He is a strong leader. This is a reference to the fact that Jesus is true and powerful leader of his people. He bears the full weight of the responsibility 
of His people. He's the head of His church and He provides direction and nourishment to His people. This world and its systems are broken. They are dark and they are hopeless. But Jesus came to give light and life and to set what was wrong right. To set what was once broken right. And when Jesus returns, friends, this description will be finally and fully accomplished and He sets up His eternal kingdom He will be the strong leader forever and ever. Secondly, notice he's described as the wonderful counselor. These four descriptions at the end of verse 6, notice it says, and his name shall be called. And the first description, the second one we're looking at is he is the wonderful counselor. And so Jesus is not described as just any old counselor. He is the wonderful, the excellent counselor. His wisdom, his advice, his direction are unparalleled. Stop for a moment and just think about how badly we need counsel. If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time, we don't even know what we need. We don't even know what to ask for. Left to ourselves and to our own wisdom, we would make horribly bad choices and decisions. You could just look over your life and see the string of bad decisions that you've made in your own wisdom. Really, friends, on the top of all of our Christmas wish lists, we should put wonderful counsel. This is what I need more than toys or electronics or jewelry or clothes or tools. We need wisdom. We need counsel. And Jesus came to give us that. He came to give us that wonderful counsel. And so let's bend our ear to this gracious counsel that Jesus offers us through His Word. Third, He's the mighty God. You shall call Him mighty God. In case you're still questioning why I'm saying that God gave us God, that Jesus is God, Notice that he is described as God in verse 6. He is the mighty God. He's not half God. He's not partly God. He's not God Jr. Jesus is fully God. He is the mighty God. He is Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. See, Jesus is unlike any other person we encounter every day. Jesus is not weak and unstable like all of us are. He is strong and sturdy and trustworthy. As Matthew 28 tells us, He has all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing outside of Jesus' sovereign control. He is the mighty God. Fourth, He's described as the everlasting Father. Now this is the most debated of the descriptions here in Isaiah 9. Some people get hung up over Jesus being called Father because Jesus is not the Father, He is the Son. However, what's happening here is that Jesus is not being called the Father as a title, rather He's being described as fatherly. This is a description of what He's like, not a confusion of the persons of the Trinity. Jesus is the everlasting Father in that He cares for His people like a father cares for His children, only He does it forever. Jesus has made a way for us to be adopted into God's own family, and He treats us as His own sons and daughters. He is the everlasting Father to us. And so are you lonely? Jesus is near to you like a father is near to His kids. Are you tired? Jesus offers rest for weary souls. He promises to take our burdens and carry them Himself. Are you needy? Jesus has no lack 
No lack of resources. His, his bounty is vast and endless. He is the everlasting Father. Fifth, he's described as the Prince of Peace. This is one of the most fantastic attributes of Jesus. When you think about how our sin has made us hostile to God. The Bible describes us as enemies of God in our sin. In our sin, we are at war with the God who made us. But Jesus came to bring peace with God through His blood. Jesus has broken down the walls that separated us from God and from each other. He has purchased this peace at the cost of His own life. If your life is like mine, full of frantic activity, full of strife, friends, come to Jesus. You need to cling to Jesus as your Prince of Peace. He came to restore what was broken he came to heal what was sick. We need to cling to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. This is who He is. He's the Prince of Peace. And verse 7 says, His peace will never end. His peace will never have an end for us. We will always and forever enjoy Him as the Prince of Peace. Sixth and finally notice, He will reign with righteousness on the throne forever. He will reign with righteousness on the throne forever. So verse 7 makes clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to David that an heir would sit on His throne forever. Jesus has and will establish His kingdom in righteousness and justice forever. Where else in this world are you going to go for righteousness and justice? Jesus is the leader we all need who is righteous and just. He is that King. He is the King we all need. When every other leader, when every other system has failed us, we look to the One who is forever righteous, who is forever just from this time forth and forevermore. So what a gift we have been given. What a gift God gave us Himself so that He could provide everything we needed. God is the giver and God is the gift of this gift of all gifts. But what's the goal of this gift? Why did God give us Himself? Notice the third truth I want to highlight. God is the goal. God is the goal. And by God is the goal, I mean God has given us Himself to bring us back to Himself. The reason He gives us Himself is so that we would have this restored relationship with Him so that He would get the glory and the honor forever. The goal of this gift of gifts is to redeem us, reconcile us to Himself so that we would have Him forever. God gave us God to bring us back to God. And the way we see this in the text has already been highlighted. We are the people at enmity with God. We are the people walking in darkness. We are the people who have declared war on God. We are the people in need of leadership. We are the people in need of peace. We are the people in need of righteousness. Our sins have separated us from our God, what Isaiah would say later in this book. Our sins have literally separated us from our God. And this is why God has given us to Himself he gave us Himself to restore that relationship, to bring us back to Him that He might be glorified forever. This is our most fundamental need as sinners. 
We need a Savior not just to forgive us of our sin and then let us go our own way. We need a Savior who makes a way for us to be restored in our relationship with our Creator, to give us the path of knowing and enjoying God forever. And that's who Jesus is. That's who He's promised to be here. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God for us forever. He's the light that we need in our darkness. He's the peace that we need in our strife. So God in internal relationship with Him is the ultimate gift made possible by Christmas. The gift of gifts is to know God through the sacrifice of this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace, this wonderful Counselor. And friends, this gift of all gifts is not just given generically to the world as a whole. Notice the emphasis of verse 6 again carefully. Who is this gift given to? For to us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This reminds me of the angel's declaration in Luke chapter 2. The angel declared, For unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So make this personal this morning. God gave His Son for you. He gave His Son not just generically for the world as a whole. He gave His Son for you. He gave, his, he gave this gift to me. See, it's one thing to believe that God gave His Son for sinners in general. It's altogether another thing to embrace this gift as what you need most of all. Amen. Think of it like this. A few years ago, I remember being amazed as I heard the story of a group of anonymous donors who went to various department stores and just paid off people's layaway balances. They just went around paying off random people's layaway balances. Now, when you hear about something like that, when I hear about something like this, I, I tend to think, wow, that's great. That's so generous of them. I bet those people were really surprised when they went to pay their balances and it had already been paid off. But wouldn't it be a totally different experience if you were one of the ones who had your balance paid off? Right? Isn't there a huge difference between hearing about someone's generosity to someone else and actually being the recipient of that generosity? See, I think sometimes we treat Jesus as if he's a good gift for other people. Kind of like being in a Christmas gathering where everyone else is opening presents but you. You're thankful other people are happy with their gifts, but you don't have any personal connection. They're just, they're just for somebody else. But friends, Jesus is not just a gift for other people. He's given for you and to you if you trust in him. He's a gift to you, to me. And friends, just like any other gift given all around the world, you have to receive this gift for it to be of any benefit to you. See, Jesus is not just an abstract idea to agree with. Oh yeah, we agree that some guy named Jesus lived a long time ago. It's not just that. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the friend to be embraced and delighted in and known. That you have this kind of relationship with the mighty God, with the wonderful Counselor. Listen, I'm sure you have received some pretty cool Christmas gifts in your life. But none as meaningful as this. God gave us God to bring us back to God. God the Father sent God the Son to become a man, to forgive us of our sin, so that we could know and enjoy and delight in Him forever and ever. God took on flesh to represent us, to be our substitute. And friends, Jesus is the offering. He is the present 
that we all need. We don't have to come to God with a list of our good deeds and hope that it's enough. He has provided the perfect substitute to stand in our place to represent us. What a gift. What a gift and what a giver. God gave us God to bring us back to God. So very briefly, let me just encourage you with three things. What do we do with these three things? Number one, receive this gift now. Receive this gift now. Embrace Jesus as the gift that you cannot earn, that you cannot deserve on your own, but you know you desperately need. Receive this gift right now. Secondly, give this gift to others. Give this gift to others. Jesus is the gift that every person needs. And loving this gift means telling others about it. And what better time to speak of a gift of all gifts than at Christmas. Third and finally, allow every gift you give or receive this Christmas to point you to this greatest of all gifts. Allow every gift you give or receive to point you, to remind you, to amaze you with this gift of all gifts. In other words, use the common grace of Christmas presents to help you grow in gratefulness for the gift of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your generous, for your overwhelmingly generous spirit. Thank you that you are not a Scrooge. Thank you that you are not stingy. Thank you that you are a gracious and a zealous giver. We worship you. We thank you. We are amazed by you. And we pray not just that you would transform us into generous givers, which we do pray, but we pray you would make us humble receivers of this gift. I'm convinced there's nothing that delights your heart more in this moment than the heart of faith that receives this great gift. And so, Lord, make us all receivers this morning of this most precious of gifts and allow this gift of all gifts to transform our lives, to change everything about us, to change who we are, to change how we think, to change how we live, to change how we relate to others, and, of course, to change how we relate to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for becoming a man, for taking on flesh and giving your life as a substitute for us. We are amazed. We are amazed and we receive you and we thank you for all that you have done for us. Holy Spirit of God, thank you that you've opened our eyes to these things. I pray you do that for anyone in this room that isn't embracing this gift. Do it for your glory, do it for your honor. And do it for your praise among the nations. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.